I'm Susan Smitten, one of the founders and the executive director of Raven, and you're listening to Raven Debriefs. The teaching and learning going on across the country is extraordinary. Settlers and Indigenous people are gathering in good spirit to dig into the very difficult history of colonization in Canada. It's a moment of great friction, but also one of tremendous opportunity. The barricades may be up in front of legislatures and rail lines, but in many quarters, people are holding disarmingly honest dialogue and forging new alliances, rising in newfound solidarity to meet the demands of the moment. Throughout this episode, you'll hear the voices of young people who are taking a stand across Canada. You'll hear from youth in BC and from artists and musicians in Toronto who participated in the We Are the Stronghold benefit concert for Raven's Wet'suwet'en Legal Fund. Get inspired by the next generation of activists, scholars, poets and players who are forging a new way forward for this country, grounded in ancient traditions and motivated by a longing for justice. My name is Saul Brown. Um, my traditional Hilthsakla name is Ajilpa, and I come from the Hilthsak and New Chanolf nations. And what's compelled me to be involved in supporting the Wet'suwet'en is my indigeneity and knowing exactly who I am and where I come from. And understanding that when this happens, this militarized state violence and running roughshod over indigenous sovereignty happens to one nation, it can, has, and will continue to happen to all First Nations unless we take a stand. And so as a young person who believes in Indigenous sovereignty, who holds our laws, Indigenous laws, in very high regard, I feel that there's a positive obligation on me to take action when our relatives, specifically the Wet'suwet'en relatives, are under threat. And then in addition to that, when our Taidanega, our Shishwetmik, and our Gitsan relatives are under threat for also standing in solidarity with Wet'suwet'en. Saul Brown is part of the very first cohort of law students at the University of Victoria who are pursuing a joint law degree in Canadian and Indigenous law. When he's not in class, Saul has been spending every spare minute lately participating in a peaceful occupation of the B.C. legislature. These demonstrations led by Indigenous youth and strengthened by allies of all ages aim to draw attention to the plight of the Wet'suwet'en land and water protectors who are facing unwanted industrial activity in their territory. My name is Takaya Blaney. I'm from the Tla'aman Nation. And I'm one of the indigenous youth that has occupied these steps of legislature for the past 10 days. This is what we do out of necessity. This is what we do out of survival. Because defending the land is defending our bodies from violence. Violence against Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit people throughout this country is so deeply interconnected to violence against the land. We know this, and we cannot accept one more stolen sister in the name of pipelines and profit. I think the rule of law has been... Uh weaponized against Indigenous peoples for a long time and weaponized through 
things like the potlatch ban through residential schools, through not being able to hire lawyers to address the Indigenous land question. And so the rule of law is not neutral, it's not objective, it's uh, used at the convenience of settler colonial institutions like the courts, like the government, to um, actually criminalize Indigenous people who are upholding the other side of that equation, which is Indigenous law. So Indigenous laws have always been here, despite the colonial imposition of Canadian law and the assumed um, role in which colonial law plays on these lands, but we know in our hearts, because our law is embodied, their verbs, their actions, their way in which we uphold each other and relate to each other, often reciprocal and relational. And so our laws dictate how we relate to all human beings and all non-human beings in our territories and the land and water in and of itself. And so I think that what's missing in this Canadian legal system and what's actually driving us to the eve of a climate catastrophe um, is that we have teachings in here through our laws that can show us a better way to relate to the land and water. So I think that what we're seeing here is um, a lot of settler allies and supporters coming and seeing the utility and the knowledge in which Indigenous laws carry and saying that's the one of the tools in which to address climate change, which is, you know, this omnipresent um, issue that we all face. However, with the uh, tech mind being rejected and pulled back, we're seeing that when Indigenous people stand up, uphold their laws, in conjunction with settlers and supporters, we have the ability to literally pave a new path forward. I think that how to make the world a better place is to look at how indigenous people have lived since the beginning of time. And that's literally all we need to do. We keep on complicating everything. We fucking complicate everything. It's like the way that the world can be a better place is to just look at how indigenous people have lived and are living their lives and we need to start living that way. Here's Serena Ryder with a song called Teach You, performed live at the We Are the Stronghold Benefit concert for our Wetso and Legal Defense Fund. It's a song by Emily King. Do I have to explain how to care for somebody you love? Make them feel like there's no one else around. Pick them up when you think they're going down. Do I have to explain how to care for somebody you trust? Call them up on the phone when they're feeling blue. Light up with the words they say to you. I grew up in the struggle to have our humanity recognized as Indigenous people. I grew up listening to the elders and teachers in my family talk about three main options. 
to address the question of land and title. Something we knew that we've always owned it all. We've never sold, we never ceded, we never signed a treaty in Heltzik territory. It belongs to us. It belongs to us not only in principle, but in practice and legally through the doctrine set out in the Chilcotin case of 2014. And so I grew up hearing, you do a treaty, a modern day treaty, you litigate title or it's status quo. And I felt confined to those things. For me, I needed to know the law to understand how to deconstruct it in a way to create space for our own legal systems to flourish. I needed to know the Forestry Act. I needed to know the Lands Act. I needed to know the Water Sustainability Act. All these statutes, I needed to know the case law behind these things. So what I'm trying to do is lift the veneer of the colonial legal logic so we can expose the truth, which is these lands were part of sovereign nations and they're still part of sovereign nations. Not everyone has the privilege that I have to be able to go to law school. So I've made a choice to come here to learn, not to uphold Canadian law, but rather learn the best way to dissect it for the betterment of Indigenous law and specifically Hiltzikwilas, which is Heltzik law. And as we gain more understanding of the Canadian legal system, the better we are to address it. And so we can continue to nurture a culture of resistance for the betterment of all humanity led by Indigenous people who have always answered the call to protect their lands and waters whenever any of our lands and waters are under threat. And that's why I've chosen to be here. It's not fun. Sometimes it feels like it's institutional hell. Sometimes I have a really hard time here. And it's hard to find people who share the same views. Um, so it's a sacrifice that I'm choosing to make. And hopefully it pays off. But who knows? <laughs>
I think as indigenous young people, as we re-invoke our traditional systems, we have an ability that our forebears didn't have. And that's that the colonization that they experienced and the oppression and the systemic racism was much greater. And so if you think about the legacies of the potlatch ban, of the Indian reserve system, of uh, the residential schools, of the 60s scoop, all these things have an effect on our forebears. And what we have is the gift from them to create space for us. Not only within the Canadian, the democratic systems, the political economic systems, but also our own traditions. And so as we have time through the space created from our ancestors, from our forebears, is we can look inwards and look at the utility and value of our own traditional governance systems. So we don't need to look outside for the answers to the outside world anymore. We'll take those tools when they're applicable to modern problems, but what we have is the ability to look inwards back to the brilliance of our ancestors, to the brilliance of those teachings, and say, yes, these can be utilized and they do have value to address contemporary issues. And so what this is about, it's about time finally coming on our side. Because we have been on the other side for far too long and it is time for us to cross that line and to lead. Because the young people are standing right now. It is our young people who are standing. And they are standing because adults are not standing up for them. And when we have to be led by nations of young people, because the adults who should be thinking about them are not, then that's when we need to let them lead because they're the ones doing it right. And it is my great pleasure to introduce a very good friend of mine. She is a powerhouse woman who is bringing good medicine to our young people and they so need it. And she stands in such a good way. Can you please put your hands together for Miss Zoe Priceless Roy. Everything in the world has a spirit. Wakotuin. This is Zapimatsuin. I understand some of us has lost this, and I know the retrieval of it is hard. So I press on. Nasteowak and Nasqueowak, let's press on. We pummeled courageously from our roots through roots of cages, building upon and maintaining our matriarchs and our organizations. We've stayed patient and strategists. We're stubborn because we can resist. We've always only had one chance. So we work and we dance. We feed our families. We laugh. Never have we had enough time to collapse. We whisper to each other, hard times always pass. I can only wish and pray that this patience will last as I listen for their echoes from the past. And you see, we've endured diaspora, but now we do it to ourselves. And now it seems it's both for and from ourselves. Mind you, Wakotoin still exists. And this is where it begins. And this is how we all win from all of us. And for all of us, Wakotoin starts within. So let's put down our fists and open our hearts so our children can find a way back to their star. We all do matter. And each of us are enough. 
were enough to stand against that darkness we all face, enough to give and accept a purposeful grin, enough to hold and be held, to love and be loved, while Kotoin starts within. Everything in the world has a spirit, and as Maria Campbell affirms, home is where the spirit dwells. So nestewak and nestewak, let's keep our hearts open. Manatitoin, work in Manaskewin and call our spirits home. Come home. Thank you. <laughs> Section 35 means. Is anyone going to do it? I know there's going to be someone. Section 35 of the Canadian Constitution that recognizes and affirms Aboriginal rights and title was a hard fought battle by those who came before us. In my nation, use Section 35 1 to basically affirm our right to commercial spawn-on kelp harvesting practices. So that basically said we weren't just um, practicing trade for food and subsistence. We were practicing on a level that's analogous to commerce. And they lost at the lower courts, lost at the Court of Appeal. However, we're vindicated at the Supreme Court of Canada, the highest law of all the land, the Constitution, that we have a right to barter, trade, and sell herring, rowan, kelp. The insidious thing about um, taking Section 35-1 challenges to the Canadian courts, it's a huge cost to bear and the onus is often on Indigenous people to not only prove that they have an, an uh, Aboriginal right to herring row and Aboriginal title to their lands like the Chilcotin and the uh, Kitsanwetsutin and Delgamuk. When we talk about these court cases and like cases like Gladstone that take years, Gladstone, the Gladstone brothers were first arrested in 1988 and then they were vindicated at the Supreme Court of Canada in 1996, which is a huge, a lot of time, energy, resources, costs to bear, not only monetary, but if you think about the intellectual energy, the emotional energy that goes into the uh, adversary nature of Canadian courts, because the Canadian courts are saying, prove you exist. And so we have, literally have to go and provide evidence, oral history, a lot of time and energy within our communities just to prove we exist. And on top of this, we have to ensure that we have enough funds to go to court, which is often the millions of dollars. Far too long, Indigenous people have been speaking alone against the injustices in which we face. And what we're seeing today is supporters and allies standing shoulder to shoulder, speaking out against injustice against the Wet'suwet'en. And that's what I hope we start to do with all injustices. Not only the historical injustice, but the contemporary injustice that we all face as Indigenous peoples.
um, when the Enbridge um, uh, Northern Gateway Pipeline was proposed, we had a mass um, outpouring of love and support to basically take on a multinational billion dollar company saying, no, you do not have a free prior informed consent. Together with Sierra Club BC, Raven stood with Heltzik and six other nations and mounted the Pull Together campaign against Enbridge. Thousands of people joined forces and raised over $700,000 to bring court challenges that quashed the approvals of the Northern Gateway project, ultimately ushering in a tanker-free northern coast. This alliance of Indigenous leadership and ordinary people stepping up to organize events and fundraise online affirmed the power of the grassroots to help protect Indigenous rights, defend land and water, and reshape our common future. So we came together as a coast. We came together as Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people to support our collective futures, to ensure that one, a pipeline wouldn't go through Northern BC, and two, the tankers wouldn't be traversing through our territorial waters. And we took action, and direct action always is the front lines of throwing up a blockade on the railways or occupying government buildings. Direct action looks like pancake breakfast. It looks like um, music festivals. It looks like art in resistance of these things because there's many front lines. It's also fundraising for legal campaigns. It's also political advocacy with your MLAs and your MPs to build a community. And I think that's what Indigenous peoples are doing in this contemporary times is reminding the rest of society that a community is an important part of this. So not only the land and waters at the forefront of this, but those who enjoy it. We've always known what we needed as Indigenous peoples to heal, to prosper, to be vibrant. Because we were, for thousands of years before Canada came, or if Canada wants to, you know, heed the words of Indigenous young people, we'll be vibrant and healthy for thousands of years going forward. We're breathing life back into our hereditary governance systems, back into our cultural governance systems, into our potlatch, into our Sundance, into these things that have held us strong. Because we're all here together in the same canoe and it's ensuring that all those who can support um, know how and the ways in which they can support. Because front lines take many different forms and fashions for everybody. And so when we pull together, as a collective, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, for our future generations, that's when we can really show the rest of the world a way forward. To learn more and find out how you can organize, donate and fundraise in support of access to justice for Indigenous peoples and stand with Wet'suwet'en wherever your frontline is, visit raventrust.com. mission is to provide access to justice for Indigenous nations who launch important legal challenges to protect their rights and traditional territories. We use the power of the crowd to help level the playing field so that when Indigenous peoples are in court to defend their rights, they don't have to go it alone. People young and old from coast to coast to coast and beyond are organizing events, setting up online fundraisers, and donating to support strategic legal challenges of the Wet'suwet'en hereditary leaders. Right now, you're listening to Luke Wallace, who's embarking on an album release tour with fundraising shows around BC in support of Raven. Give $100 and get his new record, What on Earth? Take a listen.
It's time for the privileged to stand up and make a call. It's only good for some men, that ain't fair at all. Everybody's free means all people, all places. See the beating of their hearts before the color of their faces. I am hoping that I'm going to wake up. I'm hoping that. And make some noise. They probably won't shoot you like they do the darker boys. Everybody's free means all people, all places. See the beating of their hearts before the color of their faces. See. Their hearts beat, 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 beat. In today's episode of Raven Debriefs, you heard the voices of Serena Ryder, Zoe Priceless Roy, Jaden Whitfield Williams, Jordan Smith, Saul Brown, Takaya Blaney, Serene Fox, and Rebecca Wolf Gage. With music by Luke Wallace, Digging Roots, and Serena Ryder and her fabulous band playing a live benefit show for Raven. Today's show was produced by Andrea Palferman, recorded by Carissa Chandrakate, edited by Rutendo Chabiqua, and narrated by me, Susan Smitten. Subscribe, share, and comment on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. People through an open door where the corporation crumbles and community soars. And when we've got what we need, we need no more. What started as a whisper has grown into a roar, rising in the people through.